This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Up first, a visit to the year 1952. Just a few of the interesting things to take place that year. Well, Mr. Potato Head became the first toy to be advertised on television. It was a success, and over one million were sold within the first year. George Lerner, the creator of the toy, thought that his invention would help make vegetables more appetizing and fun for kids. Elizabeth II became the Queen of England and the United Kingdom after the death of her father, King George VI, on February 6th. She was just 27 years of age and had been traveling in Kenya with her husband, Prince Philip, at the time. Her coronation was held in June of the following year to allow the proper time for mourning, and it was the first coronation of a British monarch to be broadcast on television. As well, the iconic musical film Singing in the Rain premiered at Radio City Music Hall in New York City, March 27th of 1952. The film starred Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds, and Donald O'Connor. Since its release, it has been consistently ranked as one of the greatest American films ever made. In fact, it was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress in 1989. And a number of radio shows ended their reign that year. Mr. District Attorney ended its run on ABC. The end was in sight for The Green Hornet, which ran on ABC. And even Hopalong Cassidy ended their run on network radio, but there was still a cowboy show on the air, Gunsmoke, in 1952. The stories take place in and around Dodge City, Kansas, during the settlement of the American West. And, of course, the central character is lawman Marshal Matt Dillon played by William Conrad on radio and James Arness on television. So, tonight it's William Conrad in the saddle as we hear the episode broadcast in 1952, Shakespeare. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers... And that's with the U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. (laughs) 
was the dust. The heat was bad enough in Dodge City, but out on the plain, it was the dust. The sun was a burning red-brown chip in the sky. And the sweat on a man never had a chance to drop. It was blotted and dried with dust. Doc Chester and I had ridden to old man Gore's place ten miles out. He'd had some trouble with one of the hands. Fellow had gone loco with liquor and had been shooting up the cattle. We found him, stripped naked nearby on his haunches, crying, drunk over a parched water hole. Doc had got him to bed and fixed him up some. And now we were heading back for Dodge. Darn horse. Seems he's just bound to stomp all the dust and candles in my eyes. <coughs> Maybe the marshal buy a camel, Chester. This keeps up. We'll all buy camels. I remember the time back in Waco when I was just Doc, a small... Chester, you see something ahead on the side of the trail there? Yeah, maybe. It looks like some poor calf strayed off and dropped. I don't think so. Yeah, it looks like a man. Come on. Chester, get the water bag. Yes, it's okay. Let me have a look, Marsha. Yeah. Let's see. Heat. Is he all right? Well, depends on how long he's been lying here. Here you are, Mr. Dillon. Huh. Open up his shirt, Marsha. Chester, get some of that water on his wrist. All right. It looks like an Easterner, huh? Sure not dressed for this country. Oh, well, that's better. That's better. Try to get a few drops in him. All right. Now. No, not too much, Chester. <coughs> not in his nose, Chester. His mouth. Well, my gracious, I'm sorry, Mr. Dillon, but he moved his head. It's not so easy to... Hey, look, he's awake. You're all right, mister. Just take it easy for a bit now. Oh, but this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself. Into a Jew. What did he say? Oh, it's out of his head, Chester. For this relief, much thanks. Forget it. Chester, get around the other side and shade him from the sun. Yes, you. The sun. I begin to be aware of the sun. I don't blame you. Uh, What happened? My wagon shed a wheel, I fear, along the high road. I know not where I am. Uh, you're about four miles out of Dodge City. Uh, Kansas. Kansas. Oh, I would give all my fame for a pot of ale and safety. You better get him to town quick. He's in a bad way. Still uh, You think you can make it on a horse? We'll take you into... We'll take him into Dodge. And he passed out again. We tied him across Doc's horse. Doc and I doubled up and Chester rode behind. The stranger was a tall, skinny man with a face like a friendly mule. Big hands and thin wrists stretched out from his sleeves. 
He had no papers on him, nothing. And until he woke up, we wouldn't even know his name. Doc settled him down in the back of his place, and he was still asleep when Chester and I rode out to where we figured he'd left his wagon. It wasn't hard to see when we found it. What color wagon would you call that, Mr. Dillon? Puce, Chester. Puce. I guess so. Seems to be some writing on the side there. Yeah. Oh, Irving Henry, thespian supreme disciple of the immortal bard. Mm. I should have known he was a religious man. Uh, he's an actor, Chester, the immortal bard. Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, wrote plays, poems. You think he let the horses go, Mr. Dillon? Well, I was wondering that. Seems to me he'd have ridden for help instead of trying to walk. Horses couldn't have got out of the harness themselves. Well, let's take a look at the wheel. Huh? Wish we could wait till the sun goes down. It's going to be awful hot work, Mr. Dillon. It's <coughs> 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 not too bad. The pen fell out. Must be another in the box at the back. Take a look, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. I'll prop the wheel up here. Yeah. Mr. Dillon? Hey, yeah, can't you find it? Will you come here a minute? Uh, what's the matter? Take a look in there. It took a second or two to get used to the darkness inside the wagon. And then I saw the hand sticking out from behind a trunk. You didn't have to be the doc to know that it was a dead hand. The body was of a man about 40. He was dirty. And in a greasy, torn waistcoat, I found a pocketbook with his name. Sam Matchett. And that was all. Below his left shoulder and his back was a patch of dried blood. And in the middle... A bullet hole. We got the wagon wheel on, hitched up our horses, and drove into Dodge. Doc? Oh, that's you, Marshal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be right out. All right. Get that fellow's wagon fixed up? Yeah, I brought it in. Is he awake? Oh, I haven't looked in the last half hour. I was making coffee. You want some? Uh, no, thanks. Oh, it's a funny thing about coffee when it's hot weather like this. Drink it scalded and makes you feel cooler outside. Uh, look, Doc, I got to see that fellow. I want to ask him a couple of questions. Why, so? I found a dead man in the back of his wagon. You don't say. You better take a look. Chester's bringing him in the side. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You want to go on back? Uh, yeah, thanks, Doc. <clears throat> Mr. Henry? Mr. Henry, wake up. Yeah, what? Well... Oh. Your name, Irving Henry? Oh, Irving Henry. What is this place? Now, you got to listen to me for a minute. We found your wagon. Ah? Uh-huh. Did you let the horses go before you sat on your own? Of course. I could not let them remain to die. Well, how come you didn't take one to ride? I have a loathing of horses. I cannot bear one under my body. There is a carafe of water beside the bed. Would you be good enough, uh, Mr. Uh, uh... Uh, Dillon, Matt Dillon. 
I'm the marshal here in Dodge City. Here you are. Oh, my thanks. Now, what were you doing with a dead man in your wagon, Mr. Henry? A dead man? A dead man shot in the back, lying in your wagon. This is very midsummer madness. I won't argue about that, but I'll thank you to answer my question. But it is impossible. It isn't true. I say it is. You lie in your throat if you say that I'm any other than an honest man. Look, mister, I didn't say you weren't honest. You're an actor. You got a fine way of saying things, but murder's murder. I don't care how you say it. Now, I'm asking questions, and I want straight answers. Your pardon, sir. What you tell me... In truth, if, if it were played upon a stage, I would condemn it as an improbable fiction. I swear to you, I know nothing of a body. Did you come through Hayes City? Yeah. Do you know a man there called Sam Matchett? No. You had no trouble in Hayes City? No. What are you doing in these parts, Mr. Henry? Uh, I'm... I am touring the provinces. An actor... Eating the bitter bread of banishment. And the talents are not taken for their worth in the East. And therefore, I bring the immortal bard to the hinterlands. And now, sir, that the interview is ended, pray give me leave to depart. I'm sorry, I can't do that. You'll have to stay until we get this thing cleared Mr. up. Mr. Dillon, Doc would like to see you. Ah, all right, Chester. Stay here with Mr. Henry, will you? Well, sure, Mr. Dillon, sure. If, how are you feeling by now, Mr. Henry? You like more water? These evil men live in brass. Doc. Right here, Marshal. What'd you find? Well, there's one thing. This man didn't die right away. I mean, not right when he was shot. Is that so? No. More likely bled to death. Inside. Uh-huh. Uh, you think he might have been able to climb up in the wagon after he was shot? Uh, he might. There's another thing. Yeah. You see the way he's dressed? Now you take a look at that. Oh, 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 oh. Come on, come on, Doc. Chester. What's the matter with him? Chester. My gun when I was pouring him some water, Mr. Dillon. He must have gone through the window, Marshal. I, I tried to get it back. It went off. Take care of Chester, Doc. I'm going after him. there, I didn't know how badly Chester was hurt. There was a lot of blood on his head and over his face. It was nearly dark outside and the street was empty. It was supper time. I could see the women through the windows getting food ready. The kids were inside too. Sure looked peaceful. But with Henry out with a gun, well, that wasn't a good thing to have running around loose in Dodge.
Mr. Dillon? Did you see a man run down the street, Miss Fletcher? Well, no. Well, you better get inside and lock your door. Don't come out again. There's a killer loose. I walked the length of the street, listening, waiting. And when I got to the end, there was nothing. He hadn't taken a horse, I'd have heard that. And in a way, I was sorry, because if he'd tried to hide and dodge, there'd be no way to get out of shooting that wouldn't get women and kids hurt. A breeze came up, and swirls of dust flew around and then settled as the air became still and hot again. I went back to Doc's place. Oh, uh, did you find him, Marshal? No. How's Chester? Oh, I'm fine, Mr. Dillon. Just creased my head, more mess than hurt. Oh, good, Chester. Uh, look, you want to go home or you want to work? I want to work. All right. Go down to the office, get yourself another gun, and round up some men, many as you can. As long as Henry stays in town, we're in trouble. Now, keep your eyes open. Meet me back here. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. Take my gun with you, and if you see him, watch out. All right, I'll get going. Yes, sir. Now, Doc, I'm going to have to make you a deputy, too. Well, <laughs> well, maybe instead of digging out bullets, I'll be putting some in. It's not funny, Doc. Now, come on. All right, we'll start here. I'll take this side, you take the other. Get the men to go through their houses and tell them to look for their horses. Tell them what's happening. But ten o'clock that night, as far as we could tell, Henry hadn't left town. There were plenty of places for him to hide, though. We had 50 men out searching. Chester and I were working along back of the express office. There were a couple of houses there we hadn't covered. You wouldn't think a man like that would be a killer, now would you, Mr. Dillon? I never saw a man yet couldn't be, Chester. Depends on your reasons for killing, I guess. Now, let's take a look behind these boxes. You think he could have got this far? Yeah, he might. A lot of back streets to sneak around in the dark. That's Miss Cullen's place there, isn't it? Yes, sir. Looks like she's still awake. Light burning back there. Yeah. <clears throat> Seem a bit cooler to you tonight, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, a bit. Oh, uh, evening, Miss Cullen. I'm sorry to get you up, but we're looking for a man, a stranger around me. Tall, thin. You seen anyone about tonight? No. No, I haven't. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, how's the kids? Oh, they're fine. Thank you, Mr. Dillon. Fine. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you keep the place locked tight, Miss Cullen. Don't let anybody in tonight unless you know who it is. All right. Good night, Mr. Dillon. Good night, ma'am. 
Well, now that's strange. She didn't even say hello to me, and I know her better than you do, Mr. Dillon. Chester, round up the others. Get them over here. I don't know why she... He's in there with her. I think he's got the kids in the sleeping room. Oh. Sent her out to get rid of us. Now, I'm going to try and get in. Don't do anything when you come back. Just put the men around the house. Yes, sir. I'd seen Miss Cullen make a move with her head. And her eyes said the rest. When I told her to lock up, I shook my head and I hoped she understood. I wanted that front door to stay open. He was in there, all right. I could hear him. I wanted him alive. But I wasn't going to risk hurt to Miss Cullen or the kids getting him. I did what you asked. Don't hurt the children, please. They will never know this night. In the morning, when they will. You said you locked the door off. No, don't. Don't. I shall keep the pistol turned to the girl's head now. Someone is here. They're trying to take me. Who is it? Who? Mr. Dillon, go away. Please. He'll kill us. You lied. You lied. Oh, tiger's heart wrapped in a woman's hide. Listen to me, Marshal Dillon. Throw your pistol in here and then come in with your hands before you. I have no stomach for child killing, but I will not hesitate to do so. Now, give me the gun, Henry. No. You won't be able to get out of this. I must. There is living to be done. You know, that fancy talk isn't going to help either. Now, why don't you climb down? What happened to Matchett? Nothing happened to Match. Why'd you kill him? I didn't. In five minutes or less, there'll be 50 men or more around here. Now, what are you going to do? I don't know. If you didn't kill Matchett, you'll get a chance. I'll see to that. There's no use going on this way. Give me the gun. I cannot. It is my prop of salvation. No gun is salvation to anybody. Put it down. You must tell the men to go away, Marshal Dillon. I'll have to take one of these children with me for my protection. No! Shed a tear for me, madam. I have the greater need. You do a lot of talking, mister. I'd like to see you turn the gun away from that kid's head. That'd take more than talk, wouldn't it, though? I have no skill with such a weapon. Why should I match with you? I want to live. You're going about it the wrong way. The smallest worm will turn being trod upon. Meaning... 
You gave me no choice when you brought me here. Would have been better to have left me lying in the dust. You don't understand. You don't know. Well, why don't you tell me? What good would it do? It depends. My life has been the theater. As a boy, I, I was a student of Shakespeare. He <laughs> would look at me. Who would accept this face for Hamlet? This little shape of body for Romeo. <laughs> His speech has become my speech. And the fools only look. They cannot listen for laughing. There have been ugly men before you. Hasn't been cause for murder. Why'd you kill Matchett? In New York, there was a man. A gross, stupid man who fancied himself an interpreter of the bard. He, he took me, me, as his apprentice. And together we set out for the tour. I would play only the voices. Never Richard. Never Henry. Never Leah. Only, only the voices. Whilst he, stumbling, drunken, he muddled and tore to a tatter the, the words that I should have spoken. You killed a man because you wanted to play a hero? How easily murder is discovered. Yes, yeah, sometimes, I guess. It was yesterday. We were leaving Hayes City. We played there for two days. And it made me a laughing stock. It was night. And he became drunk and, and threatened to leave me in the next town. I made him stop the wagon and taking up a pistol, I shot him. He did not die at first. And when I saw what I had done, I, I wanted him to live. And I put him into the wagon, and I drove on, hoping to find a doctor. Then, as, as the night passed, I saw that he had died. And I was afraid. The wagon broke down? Yes. I, I put my purse into his clothes and took his name for mine. How I've hated the name of Sam Matchett. But you wouldn't understand. I wouldn't. Well, what now? I want to live. I want my chance. You've done a murder. I can't let you go. You know that. Don't make it harder. I lost my husband two years ago. 
I know what it is to be alone. You've been alone, haven't you? I'm sorry. But you killed someone. We may pity, though not pardon, dear. <laughs> I'm going now, Marshal. If you walk out of there with your gun, you're a dead man. Death's a great disguiser. I must have your chance. Don't do it, Matchett. There'll be killing. Madam, forgive me. I would not have harmed your children. Matchett, put down your gun. Let me go my way. Please. There are a lot of men waiting for you out there, Matchett. You know what'll happen if you open the door. Don't do it, Matchett. He knew he was going to die. The minute he opened that door, he knew it. And maybe he wanted to, because he fired first a single shot. We buried him in back of the church and I found some words in a book to put on his grave. He that dies pays all debts. Gunsmoke. Under the direction of Norman MacDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Hans Conrad was featured as Henry, with Mary Lansing as Mrs. Cullen. Parley Bear as Chester and Howard McNear as Doc. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Roy Rowan speaking. Remember, gangbusters going to action Saturday nights on the CBS Radio Network. Stay tuned for the Red Skelton Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the Red Skelton Show. Hollywood, the Raleigh.
Cigarette Program, starring Red Skelton, with David Forrester and his orchestra, our singing star, Anita Ellis, Gigi Pearson, Verna Felton, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. Pleasure to bring you Metro Golden Mayor's popular comedian and the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, Skelton's back and Marjorie Maine got him. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How are things tonight with you, Rod? Oh, I'm really in the green tonight, Red. I went out to Santa Anita today. Oh, uh, good old Santa Anita. The annex to the Bank of America. <laughs> Did you take Mr. Raleigh to the races with you, Red? No, he hasn't been feeling so well. He's getting that California spring fever. What's that? That's double pneumonia that's approved by the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> Well, truthfully, Red, the weather has been wonderful out here the last week. Oh, hasn't it, though? I was over in the park this afternoon. It was so hot, the little squirrels were sitting around with their fur coats unbuttoned. <laughs> Sponsor's brother gave me that joke. <laughs> Tomorrow, he'll be back on the road selling Raleigh's again. Well, say, speaking of Raleigh's, did Mr. Raleigh go back to Kentucky? Well, not exactly. We, we went out of the airport, but they couldn't find seating space for him on a plane. What happened? Raleigh's back in Skelton, got <laughs> Well, I heard about you talking to Mr. Raleigh, taking him to the fights the other night oh. at the American Legion Stadium. Oh, boy, and did I see a knockout. Boy, what a knockout. <laughs> Too bad her husband was with her. <laughs> Mr. Raleigh really enjoyed the fights, and we had good seats. I was sitting between two fat ladies. Were they really fat? Fat. I felt like a Florida grapefruit between two California oranges. <laughs> hey, Anita, did you enjoy the fight? Oh, yes, Red, but what was that thing that fell out of the fighter's mouth when he got hit in the jaw? That was his mouthpiece. Gee, nowadays some lawyers will work any place to make a dollar. <laughs> You're proud of that, aren't you? <laughs> You're setting television back ten years, right? <laughs> Say, Anita, do you like prize fights? Mm, yes, I thought the fights were exciting. You know, I used to be a fighter. Really? Mm -hmm. Were you like Jim Corbett, stand up and box, or like Dempsey, just slug it out? No, I was more like reconversion. Somebody was always holding me up. <laughs> Say, they, did they ever carry you out on a stretcher? No, I had silver handles sewed onto my shorts. <laughs> Did you know that I used to be a fighter? I mean, uh, did you know I used to be a fighter? <laughs> Boy, you'd never know the way you're wrestling with that line. Man. <laughs> you were a fighter, David. What did they call you? Uh, Battleship Forrester. Battleship Forrester, huh? <laughs> yep, they gave me that name because I always had to be convoyed to a neutral corner. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll loan you out to Jack Kirkwood. Well, were you ever convoyed to neutral corner, Red? No, I had a bird dog that used to point it out. Well, truthfully, Red, you don't look healthy enough to be a fighter. Well, I'm in good shape considering I was very puny when I was a baby. You know, when I was born, I was so puny they were going to drown me. Why didn't they? They were ashamed to be seen carrying me down to the river. <laughs> 
Soldier's life a tough one? I'll say it is. When he's in training, there's no, <laughs> there's no wine, no women, or no jukeboxes. Well, what does he do for entertainment? He breaks training. <laughs> and now Anita Ellis sings, um... <laughs> you'll have to help me. What is this? Amado Mio. <laughs> Amado Mio? Mm-hmm. It's from the new picture, Gilda. I'm going to introduce it tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you better sing something else. I can't pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a Scandinavian uh... number. <laughs> similarity to persons living, they're imposters. Chapter 88 of Telephones is entitled, I Want a Telephone. This is the story of Willie Lump Lump and the trouble he had to go through to get a phone. Hey, where's the guy who gives out the telephone? my application real early. You'll find my name right after Alexander Graham Bell. Have you ever had a telephone before? Yeah, and I got bills to prove it. Here. If you want a telephone, you'll have to pay this old bill, and then I'll put your name on the waiting list. Well, I'm a veteran. Does that make any difference? Yes. 
Yes, if you're a veteran. Yeah. I can put your name on the preferred waiting list. Now you're talking. How many are ahead of me, huh? Well, let's see. There were three veterans' applications this morning. Only three? Yes. yes. That makes your number 89,643. <laughs> Look, I want to phone while I'm still young enough to hear who's talking. <laughs> Is the telephone essential in your job? It most certainly is. What do you do for a living? I play the races. I'm sorry, Annette. I'm sorry, but that doesn't qualify for immediate installation of a phone. Due to the extra load on our present facilities and the shortage of new equipment, emergency certificates get first attention. A doctor's certificate that proves a person is 100% incapacitated might help. Windy old birdie. <laughs> what is this incapacitated stuff? What's that? Incapacitated means that you're in such bad health you may need medical attention at any time of the day or night. Well, the shape I'm in, that ought to be easy. Look, I go pick up a wife and go and see the doctor, huh? <laughs> Hurry, Willie. Maybe we can get to the doctor office before he closes yeah. today. Oh, look, Willie, there's a parking place. Yeah, there's a guy backing into it. I'm going to beat him to it. <laughs> Willie, don't try it. We'll have a wreck. Oh, no, we won't. <laughs> What's this, Willie? <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? They ought to take away your learner's permit. <laughs> parking here. Oh, I don't see no red fire plugs, and I don't see no red zones. But, Willie, people don't park on the sidewalk. <laughs> well, there ain't no sign that says that I can't, either. Come on, let's go ahead and see the doctor about getting a tow for you. Now, when you get into the doctor's office, look sick, so he'll give you a certificate for a telephone. Okay, give me a kiss, will you? Why, Willie? You said you wanted me to look sick, didn't you? <laughs> Excuse me, I'm Miss Duzik, the nurse. Do you have an appointment? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, but if you want to go anywhere, I'll break it. Willie, aren't you forgetting where you are? Oh, no, I just forgot where you were. Uh, if you'll come this way, you can see the doctor now. Thank you, she's free. Come in, come in, Mr. Lomplomp. Uh, Dr. Dowd, howdy doody, howdy do. <laughs> Sit down, please. Say, what happened to you? Your clothes look terrible. Yeah, my wife left them lay on the floor last night. <laughs> Wouldn't she pick them up? She couldn't. I was in them. <laughs> now, uh, Mr. Lumplum, precisely what did you want to see me about? Well, I want to see you about a certificate, uh, a piece of paper for an emergency phone. I'm a sick man. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you feel sick? What seems to be the trouble? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. <laughs> can't breathe? How do you stay alive? Oh. Uh, I just don't think about it. You know, the last time you came to see me, I told you to drink eight glasses of water a day. That's what I've been doing. You've just been drinking water? Yeah. Or oh, might spike it with a little something to kill the thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Willie, but I can't give you a certificate for a fault. Well... Uh, how can I carry on my business without a phone? 
You'll need one to carry on your business. Oh, yes, I do. Every week I got to call up the Social Security and see if my unemployment check is ready. <laughs> Willie, why don't you go home and sleep it off? Because I ain't tired of it yet. <laughs> Look, I'm busy. Juan, get out of here. Look, I gotta have a phone. My head keeps ringing all the time. I'm always trying to take my ears off the hook. I answer them. <laughs> I'm gonna take your head off the hook if you don't get out of here. All right, if you will help me get a phone. I'm gonna take this one off your desk. Oh, Willie, stop that. <laughs> yeah, now I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Well, you're not gonna get through this door with it. I'll uh, go through the window with it. Then. Don't be silly. It's a three-story drop. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Tell her what you're doing? Yeah, but I'm doing it with a broken neck now. <laughs> David Forrester and his orchestra now play The Man I Love by George Gershwin.
Chapter 89 of Telephones is entitled The New Telephone. After waiting a year and a half for a telephone, it really, you really appreciate it when it's finally installed. It makes you so happy that you forget all your troubles. Even Junior, the mean widow can. <laughs> If I tell you, you won't like her. Junior, if you don't tell me where you are, I'll come after you. I know you won't, kiddo. Eyes up on top of the garage roof. Please come down off the roof. You might fall on the driveway and crack the cement. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, you sure does love me, don't you, huh? I have some candy for you. Oh, no. You ain't tricking me, kiddo. Oh, <laughs> all right. You stay up there. The man's finally coming to install our new telephone, and I want you out of the way. No, I'll be right down, kiddo. I will slide down the roof into my sandbox. Junior, be careful. <laughs> you might tear your trousers. Oh. What trousers? <laughs> <laughs> and your good play suit, too. No, okay, kiddo. Where's my candy? Where's no, my candy? Don't, Junior. <laughs> I have here a hairbrush and a piece of candy. Which do you think you deserve? Well, there's no doubt about it, Grandma. I deserve the hairbrush. You ought to beat me within an inch of me like climbing up there and, and taking chances like that. Spare no pain, boy. Just see, I know it will wear you out, but go ahead. I want you to just beat me up. 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 Well, now you know how I feel, so just give me the candy. That's enough. Now, you get into that house. Okay. Hey, who did you say was coming? The man to install our telephone. Oh. And if you'll behave, I'll give you a cupcake. When? If you're good, you'll get it for dessert. The big winner, the winner, win. That all depends on how good you are. Crumbs again. <laughs> Boy, you sure is happy one today, Grandma. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. Getting a phone these days is just like a blessed event. Really? Hey, Grandma, was I a blessed event? No, you were a dirty trick. I like that. The neighbors are applauding it. I, 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 don't talk so loud. The neighbors are listening. Was you surprised when I was uh, arrived? Was the folks surprised? Was my mummy surprised? Yes. She was expecting a child. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes when you talk to me like that, I feel like running away with little orphan Annie. Nobody loves me. I'm just a poor little orphan. Don't cry. I don't want it anywhere I love. Junior, you're going to cry. I'm going to cry. Poor baby. You're such a poor baby. Would he like 15 cents to get a soda? No. He would like 16 cents to tax you now. He's trying to trick me into something. Yeah, he's trying to trick you into something. No, no. I knew I would carry this too far sometime. Uh Oh, there's the telephone man. I will go. I will go. We are going to get a telephone. We are going to get a telephone. Welcome to the house of horrors, Dracula. Are you the man from the telephone company? Yes, I am. Yeah, I, my, my name's Junior. Well, uh, Junior. <laughs> I think you're a nice little fellow. I think you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> Wait, 
Hello, Hello. We, we've been expecting you. Yeah, for nearly two years. Yeah, you were just scared as butter, you know. Uh, you've had a telephone in here before, I understand. Yes, the box is right over there. Good. I'll have to open the box to check the wire. <laughs> it's full of marbles. Somebody's been in this box. Yeah, there must be pack rats around here. <laughs> Them little rats with tacks on their backs. Now, Junior, Junior, don't you pester the phone man. Oh, he's not bothering me. I have a little boy just like him. Yeah? What reform school is he in? Now, remember, Junior, you behave yourself. Mm -hmm. You know why we lost our phone before, don't you? No. You were always cutting the cord with my scissors. No. Oh, you were much younger then. You wouldn't do anything like that now, would you, Junior? No, I should say not. Cutting cords with scissors. <laughs> now it's because I was such a little child, you know. <laughs> I got bigger ideas now. Well, just watch your step, young man. I'm going into the kitchen to prepare dinner. And, Junior, yeah? don't forget, I've got the hairbrush with me. I know, kiddo. You wouldn't look like your natural self without that thing in your mitts, you know. <laughs> Oh, I love that grandma. You know, women sure cause a lot of trouble. Uh, she causes blisters. <laughs> Say, you know, you're a smart little fella. Yeah. What are you going to be when you grow up? Probably hung. <laughs> hey, what you doing now? What you doing? Uh, you just watch me closely, and yeah. I'll show you how I install the telephone. Oh. Hey, when you kneel down like that, and you feed out in the back like that, and you can't see what's going Did anybody ever give you a hot point? No, indeed, Sonny. The guy doesn't live that would try doing that to me. <laughs> he talk like a stranger in town, do uh, You wouldn't think of giving me a hot foot, would you, Junior? No, I'd do it without thinking. Oh, uh, hand me that hammer over there. The hammer? Yes, give it to me, give it to me. Okay, you asked for it. Oh! Did, 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 did you do that on purpose? It slipped out of my hand. Look at that lump on your cocoa there. Look at that. Oh, boy, ain't that a dandy. You like a match it up on the other side there? <laughs> it slipped. Believe me, the hammer slipped. I well, uh, all right. I believe you. You do? Yes, we all make mistakes. Not like I do. <laughs> well, there we are. Yes? Telephone's all connected. Well. What do you think of it? I don't think it's going to last long, truthfully. <laughs> now, I'm going outside and check the wires. I know you'll uh, keep your hands off it while I'm gone. I might crisscross the wires a little, you know. Oh, no, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> you just keep laughing, kiddo. That's... You wait till you call up somebody and the guy who answers turns out to be you. You'll find out, kiddo. Well, I'll trust you. Yeah. Oh, boy, here I is with a phone. <laughs> I shouldn't mess with him. And then again, I should. I got to learn to talk on him, you know. Then again, I don't know why I waste me time. I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> oh, boy. Boy, I'm going to have fun with this thing. I'm going to call up the fire department and the police. To, oh, boy, what possibility? What possibility? <laughs> I wonder if this thing works yet. I'm going to test it. Hello? 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 Sounds like somebody's snoring on the other end. <laughs> Maybe there's a bee in it. Maybe there's a bee in it. Get out of there, baby. Watch, 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 watch. Come on, get out of there. Watch, I'm making him think I'm a bee. Come on, get out of there. I'm going to get you out of here before that man comes back. Boy, he'll be proud of me. Now, let's see. Where's the screwdriver and his hammer? I'm going to take this thing apart here. Get out of there. Come on, bite, bite. Get out of there. Boy, 
Wallace putting up a great fight, ain't it? <laughs> I gotta eat more Wheaties. I gotta try to stay a Hello? <laughs> well, the button stopped anyhow. Everything ship shape, as we say in the Navy. Well, I think it's snafu, as we say in the Cub Scout. <laughs> what's going on in here? Good heavens, what's that mess on the floor? I'll give you three guesses. The telephone! Give that lady a box of Milky Way! <laughs> now you're going to get... No, 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 I'd love to spank him, too. <laughs> All right, line it, bitches. <laughs> This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now and thanks for listening. Last week was Brotherhood Week. Why not make every week? Brown and Williamson invite you to other good listening throughout the week. Here are the Raleigh Room starring Hildegard tomorrow night and people are funny with Art Linkletter Friday night. And return with Red Skelton next Tuesday. Red Skelton is heard in this program through the courtesy of Metro Golden Mayor. Skelton is brought to you by the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Company. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Screen Guild Theater, followed by Archie Andrews. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.